0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at BYTE.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with BYTE.
1: What say you, Richard Ellen Murdoch? Are you guilty or not guilty of the felonies wherein you stand indicted? Not guilty. How shall
0: you
2: be tried? by God and my country. The exact time when Paul and Maggie Murdoch were murdered. At the end of the investigation, it was obvious. I'm not here to work with them, okay? And the whole point is to have this not
0: Welcome back to Unsolved South Carolina, the Murdoch's Murder, Money, and Mystery. We This is our daily podcast that breaks down everything that's happening in Alec Murdoch's double am- murder trial. Uh, right now, we are uh, looking at that, or just heard the first uh, pieces of evidence of what happened the night of the double murders. So not only the 911 call that you just heard, but also the body camera video, the, the evidence, the, the body-worn camera that uh, that the first responders had, what they were wearing. Uh, uh, with me, I have our legal analyst, the South Carolina former Attorney General, Charlie Condon. With us, executive producer Drew Tripp, and meaning the controls is Max Harrison, our chief photographer at WCIV, Channel 4. And I want to kick it off a little bit because the body camera video, the nine one one call. We're starting to hear details um, and see, or mm-hmm. or the the jurors are starting to see video that have not been disclosed before, and we're seeing reactions to that. Charlie, tell me what you thought about um, the way they started rolling out this body camera video. Did you see anything in the courtroom about the the expressions? What were you? Oh, seeing? I was
2: so fascinated by the. Open, I, by the way, this is day four, right, for us. That's right. But it seems like maybe longer than four days. Right, but right. this is really the first day of evidence where jurors are actually seeing evidence that they can consider relative to the guilt or innocence. Uh, I shouldn't say innocence. Guilty or not guilty. There's a legal distinction there, by the way, of, of this defendant. And I was really curious. Uh, we knew that the body camera footage was coming, and I was really curious really very curious as to how the state was going to handle what I would have thought would be very gruesome details and I, before it turned general it was the chief prosecutor of the circuit system in ninth circuit and I had the occasion to prosecute lots of uh, grisly cases and I had one case in particular that was reversed as a capital case reverse state versus Middleton based upon the introductions by your truly yours truly of too gruesome a photograph, so to speak. So it's wow. a little bit of a standard in South Carolina as to what you can't do. And I was thinking, how are they going to handle that? Uh, because I'm assuming that lots of crime scene photos, detail-wise, that would be too shocking to show to anybody because I need to talk too graphically about this, but brain, his brain was blown out of his head of Paul Murdoch. We know that. But it turned out really well, uh, apparently under under our standards, because... We couldn't see it directly because it made a point of privacy to make sure people couldn't see, but the jurors could see it. So I'm assuming that the, and they were moved by it. It was, you could tell it was disturbing to them, but you could also tell that it was, was not such where they would turn their eyes away. Right, and I'm assuming it met the standard, so it, it made the point of what happened there, how serious it was, but it didn't cross the line, and so the defense didn't object to it. Right, but it was a moment in that courtroom. You, you there were several jurors that were obviously very, very disturbed by what they saw,
0: and you were in a different part of the courtroom than I was. I was sort of. Um, behind the prosecution but I had a really clear kind of sideline mm-hmm. of it you had more of that front on yeah. but I could also see sort of what was going on with the family so we were both kind of seeing it mm-hmm. from different perspectives mm-hmm. I saw the same thing with the jurors I actually saw one woman who actually put her mouth like put her hand up to her mouth um kind of aghast yes. it felt like when mm-hmm. she saw that with uh Paul's body because mm-hmm. the the gaping head wound um, they also described it in a way that you couldn't forget. It right. was. Uh, he, right. They talked about how his his you know, basically his brain had been disconnected from his from his head, and and it it's something we I, it, it's hard to believe. And we are actually not going to see that. Just as, as a point, that is sealed. Um, some mm-hmm. of the most grisly crime scene evidence in this has actually been sealed to protect the family. Um, and that brings me to the other part where they were covering up the monitors on um, on the defense side, and I don't know if it was for Alec or if it was because because he was visibly shaken. He was literally crying at several times, especially during that nine one one call. Mm-hmm. I, I heard tear or crying from him when they were talking about the the how brutal it was. Um, and he started crying again and they were keeping it covered up with like a cardboard. Right,
2: yeah. It was it was really old school. It had pieces of white paper and scotch tape over the over the monitors. It was and very so, old school, yeah. Yeah. So you so it was in effect blocked. Although if you really stared hard as yeah. really I did, you, you really couldn't see much, but you could you could see that there were things that were on there that the jurors were seeing.
0: Yeah, exactly. And so I and also I noticed that the family though was a little bit more stoic.
2: Well said. I thought that was. Um, they seemed. We were missing the brother, right? Randy didn't show. We
0: didn't see Randy. We saw John Marvin was there with his wife Liz, uh, Lynn, the sister of Alec Murdoch was there, and his only living son Buster was there. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. You caught um, a bit of a moment between the defense and Buster. Yeah, the there run. was
2: there was that moment, and I. It just—it was in the middle of uh, someone's. I believe it was the direct examination by the state and defense attorney Harpootlian walked over and had to get permission from the security guard there to have access to um, Buster. By the way, every time I hear Buster, I think of his. That would be, I guess, his great grandfather. Am I right about that? Yes. Yeah. And so, uh, and yes, by the way, that's exactly yeah, it that's.
0: Would be. <laughs> so that was just one of the solicitors. There were three three mm-hmm. named solicitors mm-hmm. that were that were. Murdoch's mm-hmm. over the years, three mm-hmm. generations of right, these Right, and Murdoch's. Buster's
2: the one I knew. He was the one that, uh, he was really the sort of the dean of prosecutors mm-hmm. when I was uh, coming up through the prosecution ranks, and he was the one that chewed tobacco regularly and had a styrofoam cup that he typically would, would spit into. Anyhow, getting back to Buster, I think he's a really a tragic figure on this, wouldn't you say? I mean, he's there in court, and his brother's dead, mm-hmm. his, his mother's dead, and his dad's on trial for double murder. Uh, but the point of all that, though, with the, he's obviously uh, actively being involved with his father's defense because he right. was consulting with the defense attorney.
0: Yeah, that that's really, and I, that was quite a quite a moment to mm-hmm. see that because until that happened, did we really know that, mm-hmm. or did we just think that maybe they were there to watch the proceedings? But when the defense attorney actually walks out and around the security and speaks to Buster in the middle of, of testimony, that was a moment. Um, I, let's, uh, Drew, as far as when you were in there, did you pick up on sort of the vibe of what was happening today? Was it different or did it feel like, um, we're, we're, we're kind of settling into a trial here.
1: Settling in, in the sense that it is a, that is a, it is a labor uh, you are, you are paying attention. You're, it's like a classroom setting almost. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to convey that to anyone who's not been in a, a trial, any better way to convey that. But you, you're in a class and you've got to pass mm-hmm. and you've got to really buckle down yeah. and pay attention. And that's what's happening to you all day mm-hmm. in, in, in these trials. And there are times you zone out, there are times that you are really invested, but mm-hmm. if, if, even me being a, a reporter and I'm trying to go along and do my best to give synopses, uh, blow by blow information about what happened, I find myself some of it I I can anticipate when I know what is, you know, mm-hmm. they bring a witness on the stand mm-hmm. and then he's going to talk about their back, background, mm-hmm. yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can zone out for a minute. Sometimes it's really hard for me as a just an a mm-hmm. observer reporter to stay invested in it too. And there are other times. It's coming so fast and furious that right. I, I can't turn away. Right. Yeah. If yeah. I want, if I, I know if I turn away, I'm going to miss something. Yes.
2: Yeah, yeah that's it Well said. Well,
0: and that speaks to one other thing. Before we get into the, some of the clips, that was one other thing that I noticed was that they're still figuring out like how to uh, broadcast, use the technology, deal with the body cameras, the 911 calls, the way the lawyers speak. Um, you know, mm-hmm. just trying to hear everything mm-hmm. that's going on mm-hmm. in that courtroom mm-hmm. can be challenging. And and you made the point that gosh, you hope the you know that the jurors can hear what's going on. Yeah, now
2: you know I'm trying to watch this and be as impartial and as objective as I can be, and I'm, and I promise to keep doing that. But I couldn't help but notice in. Of course, this is the state's case. They're starting, in, uh, to your point, Drew, I think we're settling into a good old South Carolina murder case. It did seem to, it, it, a lot of normalcy with that. But they start off with the strongest piece of evidence, which I do think is this body cam, which ties him time-wise in a really bad way. I think they've got a problem on the defense side. But just for, just being in there, uh, Prosecutor Waters, he had the pace. He had the courtroom voice. He had the leadership. He, 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 he was there and i'm not here to criticize anyone relative to their presentation i don't know what their strategies are or their themes but i i would note that the jurors were looking at him he have had the leadership
0: well you spoke up today for mm-hmm. sure yeah and it I was mean, loud he and, his voice. yeah and it was
1: and so I, you, you could yeah, understand I mean, him. It actually, it yeah. got my attention. Like yeah. All the time. yeah, and I so. will I will add there to that point with Creighton. It, you you attend enough trials, you watch enough trials, you see what happens and what the de, what the defense strategy, what the defense's primary strategy is, and it boils down to reasonable doubt. Right? Mm-hmm. They're trying to inject reasonable doubt, mm-hmm. so it's it's. Incumbent upon that prosecutor, and this is why they call it redirect. After that, after the uh, after the defense has had their cross examination and has gone down all sorts of rabbit trails and introduced all sorts of speculation and what ifs and tried to introduce that doubt, it is absolutely crucial for that prosecutor to come back on the other side and redirect and get back on track. And I thought Creighton Waters today did a terrific job of that. Right,
2: uh, right. and defense the to their credit, they were pointing out a lot of potential issues, inconsistencies, okay. or missteps by law enforcement. And yeah. so there, there there, are things there that I'm thinking they'll develop that either in, if they put on a case or through further uh, cross-examinations of state's witnesses.
0: Well, let's listen to a clip um, where we actually hear um, the... Uh, Captain Jason Chapman from the Colleton County Sheriff's Office, he was one of the first responders, and he has uh, years of experience within criminal investigations for Carlton County. And he gets up there and um, is one of the first responders, and he has to call the sheriff. And this is about what he tells the sheriff, what he's come upon the scene, and what he thinks they need to do about it. I had a brief conversation with uh, Sheriff Phil by telephone while in route. He had been advised of the... uh, caller's identity as Mr. Alex Murdoch. With my career, I'm familiar with the Murdoch family and Mr. Murdoch, and uh, Sheriff Hill advised me that if it was in fact confirmed to be Mr. Murdoch that he would likely uh, notify SLED simply because of the conflict of interest with the family. Mm -hmm. And uh, shortly before we arrived, uh, I believe he was able to confirm that. And that call was made uh, to request for assistance from SLED and to request that they actually assume
1: primary. The body.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's huge um, to have SLED called because there's a conflict of interest. Oh, I,
2: to me, that was a moment. Uh, just 46 counties in South Carolina. We have 46 uh, elected sheriffs, typically in South Carolina, in rural South Carolina. The sheriff really is the person. I mean, he, he, he. Runs lots of things. In, in the more urban counties, There's there are bigger police departments and such. Uh, I imagine the city of Walterboro has their own police department. Of course they do. And I don't think if any, any other municipalities do. But to have the sheriff of the county on the day he gets called and say, oh, I can't touch this one because of X, Y, and Z it hasn't been articulated. Let's call in SLED right away. Right. That, to me, was a moment.
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and the conflict of interest – is partly because we are in such a rural, small town area, mm-hmm. and you've got the same uh, name, the Murdoch name, not only working uh, so many cases within the the solicitor's office, uh, so many cases working on personal injury cases. or And that is going to include, you know, you're going to be talking to the courts, you're going to be talking to all the law enforcement who who worked wrecks, who worked crashes. Uh, they knew everybody. yeah, And, that's what, and you no. get that feeling. Um now the prosecution was really trying to explain how before sled gets there they needed to preserve this crime. Yeah, I,
2: yeah, if I could speak to that. I was really impressed with that. Uh, they have a, they feel like they have a conflict and they're calling in the state law enforcement to, or state police state law enforcement division and the sheriff makes that call, but the they also do all the could do and really should have done but they did it like right away they sent their top and i was very impressed with his expertise and his testimony on what he did in preserving that crime scene right from the get-go so the crime scene's out in the, really in the middle of nowhere to my way of thinking i guess being from urban charleston but here they get right out there and look to me like they did a really really good job of preserving that crime scene now having said that the defense did pick holes at it, right? But I would characterize that as they threw punches, but no body blows.
0: Yeah, and you know, I think that's a really interesting way to put it because I feel like we are kind of trying to win the war, not just the battles. And and how were you thinking, Drew, when we were listening to some of this this crime scene evidence roll through? What were some of the things that stuck out to you, um, good or bad or ugly, on either side, on the prosecution versus the defense?
1: I can rattle off the top of my head the the pieces of evidence we heard about today that really, really stood out to me. Number one, big puddle of water around Paul Murdoch's body. Mm -hmm. Big puddle of water, and throughout the day we heard additional testimony about that, and I'm going to foreshadow something here I'll talk about at the end uh, uh, briefly because it coincides with the end of the trial proceedings today and a Mm -hmm. little bit of fireworks there at the very Mm -hmm. end. Mm -hmm. Um, But that puddle of water... The chicken. (laughs) They talked about a dead chicken Mm -hmm. in the in in as part of the evidence. They located a dead chicken in the kennels. We heard in pretrial talking about testimony into uh, testimony about or no, I'm sorry. We heard in pretrial about a video where it's on Paul's phone and in the background on that video, Aggie and Alec are supposedly talking about a dead chicken. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The dead chicken. Being on video and Alec being at the kennels talking about the dead chicken sort of works as a timeline, does it not? Uh, yeah. It it it, it, it approves something. Uh, the nine one one call we already heard a little bit of that. We had received that previously, but we learned today what we received was heavily redacted right. because there was a lot of information that Alec was giving in that in that nine one one call that we didn't get when that. Recording was ori- originally re- released. He talked about what had happened, and that was the first time we hear Alec allude to the boat crash. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he he starts painting that picture. Right uh, off the bat. Uh, it, 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 it wasn't as soon as it was. Now, that's another thing. We heard that. Now, in the uh, body camera video, which we didn't see. We only heard the, right, the audio right. of the body camera. In the body camera with the first responding officer... Alec was talking about that boat crash and that being having this, having something to do with it. He was talking about that right away. Uh, But it took him a few minutes in the, uh, in the 911 call, but still.
0: He got it in there.
1: Yes. Yeah. He got it in there
0: and he said, they said, who's threatening. And he said, "Uh, I don't know. I don't know who the threats are coming, but my son knows. And you're like, your son, that's your son that's been wounded. He goes, no, my other son, which, which would, presumably be buster that he's talking about Mm -hmm. who's sitting in court Mm -hmm. so will buster be able to talk to these threats that paul was facing and will that be relevant to the defense's argument i thought that was interesting too um i wanted to also talk about um there were the defense spent a lot of time poking holes in what was going on with the state's preserving of the crime scene evidence they really went after um a couple of the investigators saying hey hold on Um, I don't know if uh, you needed to be doing that kind of work. They talked about how they didn't use uh, booties for their feet. They didn't, uh, when they were walking around, that that there were tire tracks, that we don't know whose tire tracks because a huge summer storm approached and a lot of this evidence got washed away. But not just that. The defense was trying to say that it had been um, somehow – that this evidence was going to be all messed up because people have been driving and walking all over the place. Yes, yes. What, are, what is
2: CSI well, effect? I mean, I practice It's It's just really well known among criminal defense attorneys, which, you know, I practice criminal defense uh, now. And through the media, and you watch these television shows where the prosecution lasts, you know, 20 minutes and the police investigation lasts 20 minutes, and you see all this whiz bang. Mm-hmm technology and fingerprints and you name it out there, people who watch these shows and really don't know better think that in every criminal case that's to be done Mm -hmm. and to be expected from the get-go. And if you don't have that, the police have not done their jobs and there's a reasonable doubt as to who committed any crime. And so I think it's really um, typical and really effective, and we'll see how effective it is in this case, to start poking holes in what they could have done better and any time you have a crime scene being developed by anyone, there's always going to be something. And so when you got yeah. that witness on the stand, you can magnify the, the the mistake to make it look like it's very, very crucial. And so whether that's going to sway a juror or two or all of them, we'll have to wait and see. But that's clearly the strategy.
0: I think one of the most effective moments – oh, I'm sorry, Drew. Go ahead. You are going to say something. I
1: was just going to mention two, two pieces of evidence in that that the defense really spent a lot of time on uh almost getting down to the granular detail and and, and not not almost, they did, because they were specifically re- refer- referencing microscopic evidence. Right. But two pieces of evidence. We heard about bloody boot prints mm-hmm. in the uh, in the feed room of mm-hmm. the dog kennel, mm-hmm. and we also later heard about tire tracks leading away mm-hmm. that did not match the path of right. Alex's vehicle or any other vehicle right. currently on the property. Yeah. They spent a lot of time agonizing over there, especially right. the tire tracks later in the day after the two of you had left court. Mm-hmm. -hmm.
0: Well, and um, well, I want to get. We're circling back to that. Don't go away, (laughs) Uh, because before we go, um, I just want to play a clip from Dick Harpootlian. This and Dick Harpootlian, of course, is Alec Mourdock's one of his defense attorneys, and in it, um, he is cross examining uh, uh, Captain McDowell, uh, who is on the scene. He is a first responder. Um, His job is to get there and preserve what he can, but we know SLED's coming. So right there, Harputlin is trying to poke some holes in what he's doing and why is he not just waiting for the cavalry to come in. Oh,
2: yeah, yeah. And that, again, it it can work really well because – we're in a day and age now where people do watch these shows. And it is impressive what can be done in a particular case. It really is amazing, really. DNA, mm-hmm. that's all you know. relatively new from, from a prosecution and defense standpoint. So whether these jurors think there are mistakes that are made that are critical, such to create reasonable doubt. But having said that, we've just got some hard and fast evidence, don't we, here, that the defense hasn't even attempted to explain at this point. Well,
0: let's hear this this clip real quick from Harpootley and see what he says.
2: I don't know what your role was there. I was a first responder. Well, they were dead, Paul and Maggie. Could you have rendered them aid? Were they in a a physical condition where your assistance would have helped? No, sir. They were dead. So he's like... What are you doing? Yeah. And some point, do you remember at one point that that I think you may have asked both of those uh, officers, you didn't know what you were doing, or words to that effect. And that's a bit of a double edged sword. You're making a point there, but it was, can be construed by perhaps some jurors as being really, really rude and unfair and unfair to, to somebody who's just there doing the best they can and really on the spur of the moment with a shocking crime scene
1: did some things that were really beyond, beyond reproach. So we'll see how that goes. I, I mean th- there's so much there's so many layers to that that you could dig into, Charlie. Mm-hmm. But like let's ask ourselves why is and it's not just this case. It's many 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 cases. If you're familiar with Colleton County at all, mm-hmm. if you follow them as we do, it, Colleton County is part of our is part of the Charleston Coverage area for television mm-hmm. news that the, they we mm-hmm. don't cover them as much as we should, but we mm-hmm. cover them as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Often, very often, Sled is called in to pr- to participate and help mm-hmm. with Colleton County investigation. Mm-hmm. Sometimes lead Colleton County mm-hmm. investigation. It's, it's because. Mm-hmm. Colleton doesn't have the resources mm. that a lot of these larger mm. right. departments have. Yeah. Isn't but, there a field office here in, Colorado, yes, there is in Walterboro? Yes, fi- there, there was a field office established in Walterboro about a decade ago, mm-hmm. maybe a little more ago, because there was a flurry of gang activity mm-hmm. here back then. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cowboys gang, in fact, that has been somewhat alluded to having ties to Alec Murdoch. Uh, we'll get into that later in the trial, I'm sure. But they, that Sled even established a field office here a, a long time ago. So it's very common for Colleton to ask Sled to come in and help because they simply don't have the resources to do things mm-hmm. that they need to do. And the other side of that sword, as you're saying, is they've got the guys they do have, the men and women they do have. They've got to do a lot. Yes. They've got to. They've got to know how to do a lot, and they've got to know how to take care of a crime scene. They've got to know how to get in there and handle things that maybe, maybe a Charleston County, maybe a Greenville County would have more people to come in and immediately respond mm-hmm. to, and they just don't. And it, mm-hmm. it, you, are you going to sacrifice the police work for? Uh, good police work for not Mm -hmm. having somebody who's technically a specialist in uh, crime scene preservation. Mm -hmm. And that's not really a fair ask of Colleton County. Mm -hmm. If I'm, if I'm a a member Mm -hmm. of the jury who Mm -hmm. knows anything about my County, listening to Dick Harpootley and say that. So, Mm
0: -hmm. well, the only thing I I feel like we got to mention because it happened right after we walked out. So I, do a live shot with Charlie. Um, something about the. Tell me about what happened in there. Maybe you were still. I there was actually there, and there. I actually
2: had to ask somebody who was beside me, "Did you hear the same thing I heard?" And <laughs> it's it was just thrown out there. Uh, Paul's car, truck, yeah, whatever it was, uh, were uh, you so stunning. There by then, Drew? Yes, yeah, I was and, in there. It's, and it's stolen and gone to Hampton County, which is obviously nearby. Tell uh, us about it.
1: So, toward the end. Mm-hmm. We we hear from the prosecution that in questioning Jason Chapman, Captain Chapman, mm-hmm. uh, they ask him about they've been all afternoon. They've been hammering on these other tire tracks, the tire tracks they oh. couldn't match to oh. any other vehicle. They right. Right. That, that led a, led away right. in a different right. direction. Right, right, right. So they finally figure it out, and they Chapman notes that they start asking him about these tire tracks, and Alec Murdoch's demeanor immediately changes. Right. Like they, he's been upset. Chapman has repeatedly de- described him as gen- genuinely, upset, yeah. genuinely, legitimately upset. And Chapman says the moment they start really digging into these uh, these tire tracks that can't be explained, Alex' demeanor changes, and he starts watching them out of watching them out of the corner of his eye, and he's paying attention to what they're doing, and he's calmer, and he's uh, you know more measured in how he speaks to them. So. They finally narrow down. Well, Alec, is there any vehicle? How did Paul and Maggie get down here to the Kennels to begin with? <laughs> is there, are there any vehicles here, not here that should be here? And Alex, was like, oh yeah, you know what? Paul's truck is missing. What? <laughs> <laughs> what? Y'all can't see me on camera, but what? There's a that was there's rare. a missing truck, and you. That, yeah.
2: Why do you think they didn't reference that in opening statement? I
1: I don't know. I I think they're I think they're probably i don't know holding back some stuff right yeah but i can't speak to that you're a prosecutor you you've strategized
2: i'm i'm thinking and i did hear from a reliable source just us talking that they have a lot more because i thought the opening statement was effective and i heard from somebody who i think knows what they're talking about there's a lot more
1: yeah so with the truck uh paul's truck is missing they don't they don't find it until the next morning it's on the side of the road, off of Highway sixty South Carolina South Carolina Highway sixty three, which you if you are trying to get to Moselle from Hampton, Walterboro, uh, uh, Bamberg, uh, not maybe Bamberg, but not that way, but Walterboro Hampton, you are almost guaranteed to be taking either Highway sixty four or sixty three to get to Moselle, mm-hmm. and it's a it's not a convenient drive from anywhere. Sixty three is very close to Moselle mm-hmm. Road, um, and they found Paul's truck parked all along the side of highway 63 the next morning the other thing happened at the very end circling back to the uh the pool of water the big uh, mm-hmm. the the anachronistic pool of water that didn't seem to make sense they couldn't right. find the source for it mm-hmm. it hadn't rained that much where did that water come from in theory you could say this was out at a dog kennel if you've ever kept if you ever kept dogs, you ever kennel dogs, especially hunting dogs, which I'm, I'm assuming a lot of these were bird dogs, retrievers, labs. If you ke- you're going to kennel dogs, you're going to have to go clean those kennels every single day because there's going to be, uh, you know, wait, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, you got to go clean them, right. and that can explain away the water. However, there didn't appear to be, as Chapman, Jason Chapman noted, there didn't appear to be a source for the water and where it was coming from. And right at the end, uh, the states in redirect after. Uh, after uh, the prosecution had gone in on Chapman for a while, the state in redirect mentioned how it appeared to them there was some discoloration in that water. And as soon as they mentioned it, Dick Harpootley and... He was, he had, I'd noted earlier, I think before we started, I had a little trouble hearing Dick when I went into the courtroom today. Yeah, to my point, I I
2: thought the leadership was with the state, right? I mean, the, the,
1: the and then he jumped
0: up and said, hold on.
1: I was, when I went into that courtroom in the late afternoon session, I was in the first row of the second set of pews. So about, as you know it, it, it walking steps, I was probably about fifteen steps behind where where mm-hmm. Dick was standing when I started, and I was having trouble hearing. Mm-hmm. We took a brief stretch break. I walked mm-hmm. to the very back of the courtroom. I had no trouble hearing <laughs> Dick at the very back of the courtroom when he got up and objected to the states uh to mm-hmm. the states uh, trying to introduce evidence. Related to discoloration in that water and what they were trying to get Chapman to say is, did it look like blood to you Mm -hmm. in the water? And does it look like more specifically, did it look like streaks of blood Mm -hmm. as if some blood had been washed away Mm -hmm. and Dick objected and got it tossed out? Because Chapman is not an evidence on blood stains or you know, anything like that, and he got it stricken. Right. But uh, the bell had been rung, right? The jurors yes, heard it, right? Yes, they had. And it, what's going to be interesting is when state tries to bring that back with an actual blood expert. Mm-hmm. Oh boy! But it's out now, there.
0: Do you, you were okay? So, do you have any idea of who's coming up first tomorrow? Did you hear before you got out of there? Because I we had to go, we had to get out to to do live shots. So I'm wondering if we got a.
1: I didn't an, get a insert. sense, but I would they bet a, I yeah. would bet that it would go by the list of jurors that has been produced or witnesses. released to the public. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, yes, I'm so sorry, not the list of jurors. Good lord, I would get in a lot of trouble for publishing that. But the <laughs> list of wit- <laughs> the list of the witnesses, the <laughs> list of witnesses that yeah. has been released to the public. That uh, I believe yeah. that would be. Probably close. there so far. They've followed it. So I've got that pulled up actually, right in front of me. The, um, they made it through. They made it through several of the first named individuals here right. today. It's looking like we've got a few sled agents and a few Colleton okay. County Sheriff's Office agents That's right. uh, near scene. the near the top of the list. Crime scene, and, I, and one crime I'm seeing scene, yeah. is the name Laura Rutland, who okay. mm-hmm. Jason Chapman she she mm-hmm. he referenced her as his co detective. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I'm seeing her near the top of the list. So well, maybe yeah, we we'll
0: We should be seeing them. The lead agents have been sitting in front of us this whole time. So we should be hearing from the crime, crime scene uh, as they kind of got through that. And we're going to hear more about just the, the immediate aftermath of the double murder. Uh, there's a lot to unpack tomorrow, too. And mm-hmm. tomorrow's Friday. So this is not a sequestered jury. They're going to get to go home Take a break, Mm -hmm. um, as we all will, Mm -hmm. for a weekend, and then we'll be back on Monday. But you'll see us here tomorrow for Friday for that final week wrap-up. Please stay with us, and also be sure to follow us on abcnews4.com and all of our social media, and anywhere you find podcasts, you're going to find Unsolved South Carolina. Before I go, I have to tell you, if you like this podcast, be sure to check out Unsolved South Carolina, Finding Brittany Drexel, a new episode dropped Today.
1: Yeah, we got a lot of irons in the fire.
0: We got a lot of irons in the fire, but it's in the same franchise. Totally different story. If you've been following the Brittany Drexel story, please take it a listen, and, um, and I think you'll like it. Uh, thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Until tomorrow.